Savor 2011, coverage by Craft Beer Radio, from Saturday, June 4th. Educational Salon, Charcuterie, Barbecue, and Artisanal Ale, with Joe Carroll, founder of Spite and Dival, and Tim Surprise, founder of Arcadia Ales. My name is Tom McCormick. I'm the president of the California Craft Brewers Association. Anyone here from California? All right. One person. And I'm here, uh, another... Wow, the, the whole state got applause. I'm here on behalf of the Brewers Association, and the Brewers Association is the nonprofit trade association representing the over 1,700 independently owned craft brewers here across the country, and the association that puts on this great event, Saver, and the salons as well, of course. And um, the Brewers Association also puts on a small little beer festival out in Denver, Colorado every year called the Great American Beer Festival. Anyone here been to that? Yeah, a, f- a few hands. It's actually the largest ticketed beer festival in the country. It's held every fall. Uh, this year it's in late September. And if you want more information on that or anything, Craft Beer, uh, craftbeer.com is a great website. It's maintained by the Brewers Association. It has things on on beer styles and how to uh, pair beer, beer with food and um, about all the various events that the association puts on, etc. So it's a, it's a great website. It's craftbeer.com. Real quick, I'm going to thank um, some sponsors that help make uh, this whole event happen. Of course, the first one is all of you. Thank you for coming. Also, the Ray's Beverage Group, Brewery Omegang, Dogfish Head Craft Brewery, Samuel Adams, craftbeer.com, Allagash Brewing Company, Brooklyn Brewing Company, Flying Dog Ales, Full Sail Brewing Company, New Belgium Brewing Company, Rogue Ales, Samuel Adams, Sierra Nevada, Victory Brewing, Crosby and Baker, Draft Magazine, greatbrewers.com, and Oak Beverages. So thank you to our sponsors. Also want to mention um, that this salon, as well as all the salons tonight and last night, are recorded. So you can go to craftbeerradio.com if you want to hear any of the salons that you couldn't make tonight or hear some things that you may have missed or want to rehear uh, tonight. That's craftbeerradio.com. And tonight we're going to be having, what, four different beers? So you have two glasses in front of you and some cups. You have a water pitcher for drinking water and also for um, Rinsing your glass, if you want to reuse one of those two glasses and a spill bucket, you can pour it into that. Um, so with that, I'm going to hand it over to the stars of the show tonight. Uh, Joe Carroll from Brooklyn's uh, restaurant in Brooklyn uh, called Feta. I think I'm going to have him better pronounce it and tell the story behind the name because it's a good story. And also Tim Surprise from our Arcadia Ales in Battle Creek, Michigan. Wonderful little brewery that I'm very familiar with. Uh, they were founded in 1996. Tim is the founder of that brewery, and they brew uh, British-style ales. Um, and just one last note, um, I'll be here and available with the microphone. If you have any questions during the presentation, I'll bring the microphone up to you. That way that question will get onto the audio recording. And with that, let's enjoy. All right, so I guess I'll start, and I, I need to get a little bit. I think Joe and I would be, would be most, uh, uh, probably will benefit most if we get an idea of what brought you here tonight and what interested you about our salon so that we can kind of tailor our remarks maybe to, to what, sure. over the next hour, what you were hoping to, 
to, to receive or enjoy. So raise your hand. Now, I'm going to save the most obvious one for last, but raise your hand if being in this salon tonight was primarily about charcuterie. Raise your hand, please. Okay, that's okay. This is good. This is good. Keep it up. Keep it up. All right, please keep your hands up if you don't mind. All right? All right, now we got an idea. Now, you can put your hands down, thanks. All right, second, if it was about barbecue, raise your hand, please. And I'm presuming that the rest of you, the answer, the last question is beer. Is that correct? Oh, not necessarily. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, Look, I, I, I'm thrilled to be here in Washington to be a part of this salon. Ever since I started my, our first participation in Savor two years ago, and uh, just a little bit briefly about Arcadia Brewing Company and how uh, Joe and I came together for this particular event of putting those elements, charcuterie, barbecue, and artisanal beers together for this kind of an event. Uh, we started the brewery in 1996. I'm a big fan, or our brewery is about uh, British-inspired traditional ales, the pale ales, the bitters, the stouts, the porters, and a few styles that we created and morphed on our own. But um, a, a real big premium on the quality raw materials and the authentic method of producing open fermentation, single strain of yeast, uh, distinctive ales in Battle Creek, Michigan, where, yes, we're not just for breakfast anymore in Battle Creek. The, uh, so it's 15 years for us this year, and, and along the way, our company developed and acquired an interest in barbecue because I had a wood-fired oven in, in our on-premise pub only, as a result of me spending most of the money that I had to get started on the brewery end and ran out when it came to the restaurant side. So other than a wood-fired oven, it took us eight years to get a barbecue pit. And that became the genesis to an interest and a fascination in the barbecue side of putting it together with beer. In fact, for seven years, we did an outdoor event, and we're going to resurrect it in 2012 called Blues, Brews, and Barbecue, in which the farmer that, back in 1996, that was picking up our spent grain from all our brewing, was feeding it to these beautiful hogs, and his payment back to us was four of those hogs, and we threw a party nice. with a blues event. Nice. Ended up five, six, seven years of doing that to 100 half barrels of beer, 1,000 pounds of pork barbecue, and a bunch of people saying, man, that was a hell of a party. Nonetheless, barbecue beer for me got its start there. Um, I'll turn it over to Joe by simply saying that we met each other five years ago when our beers made it to New York City, and we became friends and, and, and colleagues and, and more than anything, just, just brothers, I think, from my perspective, both from great beer and great food. So, Joe? Indeed. So, I actually come at this from two different angles. One is, prior to me opening up a barbecue place, I opened up a beer bar called Spite and Dival. And we did that in 2003 in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. At a time when, you know, the, the craft beer thing had come to a bit of a lull in New York City. Um, there was not a lot of domestic 
craft beer available in New York at the time, a handful of things, but certainly not the embarrassment of riches we have today. Um, the predominant beer that was available that was of any real serious quality and, and made in, in a really serious way was coming over from Europe at the time, and basically through two importers who I'm sure all of you guys know. Um, <clears throat> a lot of places in New York at the time, though, weren't messing with these beers. They were expensive, they were obscure, and bars and restaurants for the most part didn't want to get involved with it. They didn't know much about them. So I opened up a, a bar really focusing on these very small handcrafted beers predominantly coming from Europe, some of which were at the time and still are today being made in you know, glorified home breweries, people's garages, things like that. And we quickly got noticed in the, in the craft beer world in New York and, and outside of the city for really focusing on these producers, and these producers only. We made no concession to pour anything but beer that was being made um, in a way that we liked and appreciated, and, uh, in a way that was uh, a craft and, and, and artistry. And we also, I think we had, a, our initial philosophy was make, make people work for the, for the beer that they were getting. So in other words, we weren't putting anything obvious up either. At the time, I would say the most obvious beer was probably Chimay to have as craft beer. Um, we weren't pouring any Chimay. We weren't, we weren't pouring really any beer that anybody at the time who knew much about beer could come in and look at this board of about 100 different beers and, and know much of it. Um, <clears throat> I, I mean, we were getting these kind of serious beer geeks coming in and with books, guidebooks, looking stuff up to have to, you know, <laughs> what is that, you know? So uh, we really wanted people to, to learn about these beers and explore what they were and ask questions. And a lot of what we did then and still what we do today is hand sell these beers at the bar. And uh, we, we also were very um, particular about keeping the beers at the right temperature. We have a cold refrigerator and what we call a warm refrigerator. So all of our ales go in the warm refrigerator, 55 degrees. Everything gets, you know poured at the right temperature. It used to drive me crazy when I was just, you know, a beer drinker, a, a fan of great beer, and I would go order this wonderful beer, and it would be ice cold, just numbingly cold, and I'd have to wait a half hour before I could enjoy my beer. Um, you know, you'd have to order two beers at a time, so, you know, one, the, the one beer would hold you over until the second beer was warm enough. Um, so we were very particular about, about beer, and we were pretty successful in, in a relatively short period of time with, with Spite and Dival, and I, uh, I wanted to do something else. I was itching to, to get involved with some other things. I had worked my background prior to opening up a beer bar was in the music industry. I worked for a trade magazine for a number of years, and I had, and I, I am serious, absolutely no background in the bar or restaurant business whatsoever, other than eating and drinking. And... Uh, but I liked it. I, I, it. There was this creative outlet there that I really enjoyed. So I wanted to do something else. And I had really gotten into barbecue. Now, I'm from New Jersey. I'm from North Jersey. My entire family... Yeah, Jersey. Woo! My, <laughs> it's frightening. Um, uh, the end. Pa past the turnpike. Um, right, right over the GW. My entire family is from the Bronx. And they haven't a clue as to what barbecue is. And I didn't either until I was in college and a friend of mine took me to uh, a place that I'm not even sure if it's in the city anymore called Brothers Barbecue. And 
it's like this revelation, like, wow, man, there was something about this meat that this, you know, unctuous, fatty, slow-cooked, smoky meat that was just seductive to me. It just completely took me over. And the only thing I really had to compare it to growing up, my dad had a good friend who was a dean at Rutgers College, uh, and he was this Puerto Rican guy, and in the summer, he would do these kind of, you know, old-school Puerto Rican pig roasts, and... That was the closest concept, I, you know, in my mind growing up. I had to relate to this slow-cooked pork, you know. And it was, it was a similar thing, but not exactly the same. Uh, sometime in the mid-90s, I was living in Manhattan. I decided I'm going to go out and buy a, a bullet smoker, keep it at my parents' house out in Jersey. And whenever I get a chance in the warm weather, go out there for a, a night or so and teach myself how to barbecue. And that's what I did. Over the course of a couple of years, I really... You know, tried to smoke every kind of meat from every kind of animal that, you know, every cut that I thought would work and really learned a lot. Staying up all night long, stoking the flames. It's kind of a pain in the ass. If, if you've ever barbecued um, w- with a, you know, with a real smoker, it's, it's work. It's, it's labor intensive. Um, you can't let the fire die. You can't let the fire get too hot. It, it's... It, and it helps if you have some decent beer across the street while does, you're doing that, maybe. <laughs> or, or just in your hand. Um, and so this barbecue thing had stuck with me. So when we decided, let's do something else, I found a space that was basically right across the street from Spite and Dival, former auto mechanics garage, and I really couldn't think of a better place to put a barbecue joint than in the auto mechanics garage. And I just knew we had to do a barbecue place there. And... That's what we did. So in 2007, we opened up. It's, uh, it's kind of a funky situation. We, we don't try to mimic any particular style of barbecue. We're not trying to be Memphis or, Memphis or Kansas City or Texas or, or Carolina. I'm not from any of those places. I'm not trying to, you know, just cop one of those styles and do that. My, my feeling was I wanted to take, you know, barbecue is a, barbecue is a technique. It's not a recipe. It's, it's a way in which you cook something like frying or braising, right? So it's really how do you te- take that technique and apply it to different meats or, or you know, different ways of, of, of making that meat barbecue. So really my, my goal was to do real traditional barbecue. Do it the right way, um, 100% wood smoke, very long cook times, but do it in a New York vernacular. So there were certain meats that we, that we do to this day. The first thing that we're going to have is, is one of them. Uh, it's beef tongue. And um, if anybody's from New York or uh, anybody is Jewish, you know smoked tongue is very common deli meat. So we, we do a smoked tongue. We even do a smoked tongue pastrami. And that's essentially what this is. So we put a pastrami rub on it. We do a regular brisket uh, and the brisket pastrami. We do um, pork belly, which pork belly is probably our signature item. And belly is one of those things that I don't know how people down south miss belly being a staple barbecue cut of meat, but it is absolutely the greatest cut of meat for barbecue. Um, so we do a lot, of, a lot of kind of unique things. And then we, we've really gotten out there now. We do beef cheek and pork cheek. We've done muskrat. Um, we've, done, <laughs> we've done lamb's brain. We've done a lot of kind of out there stuff. Um, and we're lucky that, you know, we, we have a kind of a good 
group of people to come in and experiment and eat all this stuff. But anyway, you, <laughs> you wait online, you go up to a deli counter, everything's in the meat case, you order everything by weight, it gets served to you on butcher paper on a tray, you sit down at big communal tables and you eat. And we have 10 tap lines, all craft beer, everything local except one beer, and it's Tim's beer. And uh, it's basically because Tim and I, from day one, have always had this good connection, and there's been this connection between the beer and the barbecue, and I really wanted uh, Tim's beer, the Whitsun, which I think you guys are pouring t- today outside we do, as we well. We do, we do. And really thought that that was a great beer to, uh, to cover our sort of wheat beer you know, category that we needed covered, and I thought it worked just absolutely perfect with... Look, beer, beer and barbecue are made in... You know, it's a match made in heaven. It, it, it's absolutely perfect together. We sell a lot of bourbon, a lot of craft American whiskey, but uh, I tell people all the time, it's not, not the thing you want to drink with barbecue. Have it after the barbecue. You know, drink beer with the barbecue. Hey, Joe, real quickly, why don't we talk, talk a little bit about the first course from a food perspective. I'll talk a little bit about the beer end of it, and then we'll, we'll that way everybody can take a drink right now, get ready for uh, some really cool, cool, and specially prepared uh, uh, course, menu course items that we've put a little time and thought and UPS unwittingly kind of helped us along the way on both ends of this and providing uh, a shorter bridge between anybody from UPS, by the way. These are yeast samples, okay? These are yeast samples. Um, for, for, the rec- for the record, for the record. Um, but uh, talk a little bit about the first course food, and, well, and then I'll talk about the beer. So this is our, our beef tongue pastrami, and uh, as you can see, the, that really nice pink color comes from the curing process. And this is a brine cure. It's not, there, there's a few different ways of curing meat. There's brine cure, salt cure, dry air curing. Uh, this, is, this is a brine cure. And the brine, in the brine, we used Tim's cereal killer barley wine as, as a flavoring uh, for, for the brine itself. And then we also used some of Tim's malt as part of the pastrami rub. Now, pastrami, our, our normal rub, let me just start off saying that our normal rub that goes on almost all of our meats is uh, espresso-based. It's, it's espresso and brown sugar, salt, pepper, and a handful of other things. But when we do pastrami, pastrami gets a very classic pastrami rub, which is two things, black pepper and coriander, um, ground-up coriander seed. With this, there's the addition of ground-up malt as well on the outside of the, the tongue. Um, I know some people might be a little weirded out by tongue. Tongue is like it's so good. It's like brisket. It's such a sure. tender, tasty piece of meat. Now, here's, an, here's a, a, what I think is a really cool element to this, putting it all together from a variety of perspectives. Now, one of the things when Joe and I first talked about putting our heads together and putting this salon um, together from a using beer... Artisanal, artisanal beers in the various uh, formats or the various steps in the process of preparation. So what I thought was cool about this is that a barley wine, which is a 9 or 10% alcohol <coughs> metal winning beer, GABF metal winning beer, I might add. Um, um, sorry. I, if I didn't do that, there's a Puerto Rican porn at my table that would kick me hard by the time I got out there. But but uh, the, uh, the serial killer barley wine has a big, sweet, 
multi, higher ABV characteristic to it that you wouldn't necessarily pair to, to drink with a barbecue course. But what a great way of incorporating that style of beer into a brine or into the preparation method, right? What it does is adds a bit of sweetness, right. essentially. It acts, acts as a sugar because it, it's got such a big malty body. Right. right. So, so you, you use that in terms of getting the meat ready or, in this case, from a charcuterie perspective, uh, uh, preparing it. And then, you know, we chose our Sky High Rye, uh, which is also being poured tonight out at the table. And that is our tip of the hat to a West Coast-style pale ale with about 11, uh, 10, 10, 11% uh, rye malt to add a little spiciness and a dry, uh, a drying characteristic to the beer, which I think really goes very, very well with and will always be a great accompaniment for something that's that's got a sweet and or um, buttery texture like a lot of charcuterie does. Um, this has a tendency to have enough dryness and hop character that it kind of cuts through that a little bit yeah. and balances that that feeling in your mouth. So I, I thought I thought this was a great great first pairing. Uh, all right, another question for the for the audience. How are we doing so far? Are we all right? Everything good? <laughs> Yes, and that was exactly what I wanted to, to, to say is if anyone has a question at any time, at, so we're not going to, so we, we don't run out of time for your questions, just raise your hand and we'll, we'll try our best. So, ma'am, you, you did have a question. I forgot, but no. <laughs> I'm sorry, the first, the first beer that you had was the Sky High Rye. I'm sorry, thank you. I, I thought that uh, I made that, I didn't make that clear. Um, and, and I should also point out that Tom has a microphone. And, and so that for those of you that have questions, he's going to try to get to you. For those of you he cannot get to, Joe and I are going to do our best to, to try and answer your, your, your repeat your question. Yes, sir. Uh, um, what, uh, what percentage of uh, rise in the malt for that? About uh, 10%. 10%? Yes. Thank you. All right. Moving on. All right. So another question for the group. Um, how many people here have created your own rub in terms of putting spices together and or preparing your barbecue? That's a great sign. As Joe is alluding to earlier, something that is quite distinctive for, for, for uh, feta, feta's barbecue, in my opinion, is the rub. And it's quite unique. That, that yeah. combination of, of coffee or espresso and, and brown sugar uh, makes interesting cuts of meats turn out quite distinctively. Yeah, the rub is, is definitely uh, a unique flavor. It's the, the real bitterness of the espresso, the sweetness of the brown sugar really kind of balance things out. And uh, it's, it's funny thing is it's one of the first rubs I ever came up with when I started learning how to barbecue. And almost everything gets that. Um, some things get it in larger quantities. If, uh, for example, when we do cheeks or... or um, <coughs> smaller pieces of meat, we do a lighter coating because there's... Um, what's that? No, no. It, go, it goes on our, our pork shoulder. It goes on our brisket. Um, it goes on lamb when we do lamb. Um, we rarely do any kind of poultry, but it, it would go on the poultry as well, again, in lighter quantities. But it goes on everything, except when we do something like uh, a pastrami. Um, we do sausage. doesn't go on the sausage. Um, but that's about it. Otherwise... The same. It's a really dry rub focused barbecue. Um, we make all our own sauces in house, but 
and the odd thing is the next course we're, we're about to have kind of breaks my rule, but we, we, never, uh, we never really encourage people to use the sauce or at least use much of it. Um, we think the dry rub is, is flavor enough, plus all of the meat we use, and I mean every last bit of meat that we use in-house, um, comes from either small family farms or, or relatively small farms. It's all antibiotic and hormone-free, and um, all of the pork and the majority of the beef are heritage breed animals. So the flavor and aroma that you're getting just from the meat alone without even salt and pepper on it is, is much more intense. Yes? Where are these farms? Um, question. question, question oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. The question was where the farms where, where are. Where are the farms? The farms are all over the place, actually. Um, and I wish that we could just use some local farms. We do use um, a group out in New Jersey. What, what winds up happening, because it's very difficult for me to kind of make the connection with all of these small family farmers across the country, right? So what happens, there are a few companies. Uh, there's, there's something called Fossil Farms out in New Jersey. They deal with these New Jersey farms. There's Dolan Bailey up in Massachusetts. They have something called NEF, Northeast Family Farms. Um, there's a, a little bit more famous company because they deal with kind of all, all the high-end chefs in Manhattan called Heritage Farms. And all of these companies are, aren't really farms. They're sort of like a, a brokerage house. And they go out and purchase this meat from all these small little family farms. I mean, some of these farms have four heads of cattle. You know, I mean, they're that tiny. Um, some are, are much larger. But they, they kind of purchase from all these places, pool it together, and then sell it from there to restaurants. Um, Great question. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting thing because... You know, as much as we'd like to have the one-on-one relationship with the farmers, they just simply, one farm or even five couldn't, if we were dealing on these small family farm levels, couldn't support us with the food that we need. Um, we probably, well, I don't know, go through about $20,000 in meat a week. So um, that's, that's a lot. You know, that's and, a lot and, of meat. And, and I want to add something to that. And this is something that I think is quite distinctive. You know, and for all of us that are in the craft beer or in, at the retail level, as Joe is with Spiten and with Feta, both from a specialty beer and and from a barbecue perspective. And oh, by the way, shameless plug for uh, Saint Anselm, which is going to open up. Anybody know what a, a New Jersey hot dog is? By the way, we're not doing the Jersey dogs. You're not doing the Jersey no, no, dogs anymore. Oh, come on, he's going to have to break them out. At any rate, he's opening up another joint next door called St. Anselm here on Thursday. So when you make it up to see him, go check that out. But, but here's what Joe has done, and which I think all of us in the craft beer community, and if you're, we're enthusiasts about food as well as beer, um, just as he's described that personal relationship that he's made with a number of these farms, Joe started that process with those of us in the craft beer community. His relationship with us as brewers and his ability to get those off the wall, Tim, I, I, you know, give me something that right. nobody's ever seen in New York before kind of products. And, and he has that way of getting those beers out of guys like me. And, and that's, that's continued to every part of what he's done. And I think for those of us that are in this, uh, hopefully for the right reasons, that you respond very well to that because that personal connection of, of our beer at a place like Joe's or that person's farm animal that there's a tremendous amount of pride and dedication and commitment to is being really uh, honored and fulfilled by seeing that the, the, the person that's, that's, that's using or buying that 
is really uh, honoring the, the tradition that goes into it. I think that's a, a real cool part Thank of you. what I we all do. That. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, I came at this, like I said, I, I, I didn't have a background in this business. So I came at this as a beer geek, as a barbecue geek. And, you know, my, my number one concern was making myself happy and then making, like, the other geeks around me happy. And I figured if ever, anybody else got it, that was great, you know. Cool. Um, but it was really that. I think that's, that's the important thing is if you kind of are focused and, and excited about working with those kind of things, that's, yeah. that's what it's all about. All right. So, know? Joe, take us through the, uh, the pulled pork. So this is, this is our pulled pork, a very, you know, simple preparation. We do a uh, full Boston butt shoulder, um, about a 14 to 16 hour cook, really long, at about 220 degrees. And, yes? It's an interesting question. The wood that we use, you're asking the... Uh, yeah, he's asking uh, if we use all the same wood for everything. So I know a lot of, a lot of barbecue places want to use, uh, you know, hickory only or mesquite, let's say, down in Texas. Um, we decided, first of all, I, I really love oak. I think oak is a great wood to smoke with. It, it has a relatively mild smoke influence. It's not extremely dominant the way certainly mesquite could be in some other woods. It's not as soft as fruit wood, but, but it's not overly intense. It's not really going to get in the way. Oak is also extremely dense, so it burns slower and lower and longer. So we use a mix of mostly red and white oak, and then blended into that is some maple and some beech and sometimes some cherry and apple and stuff. But those, that, that part of the mix can change seasonally depending on what's available. The majority of, of what we use is red and white oak. Yeah. Um, so wh- how about this? What do we so got now, special tonight about this About this. Now, this pork? goes against what I was saying before as far as uh, my feeling towards barbecue sauce, but we really want to do something unique and blending the beer with the barbecue here. So what we did is, is our normal pulled pork, but we made a barbecue sauce uh, out of Tim's shipwreck porter, which is a barrel-aged porter. So the the base of the barbecue sauce that we're, that we're having mixed into this bull pork is Tim's Shipwreck Porter. Yeah, and, and uh, what we chose to put with this, again, we're using a beer that's really quite distinctive. Uh, we're talking about a 12 to 14% ABV, and that's an estimate, maybe a little conservative as far as the TTB. By the way, is anybody here from Tax and Trade Bureau? We are in Washington, <laughs> D.C. Please raise your hand. Yeah. You wouldn't raise your hand if you were in the room right now anyways, would you? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, the, uh, it is 12% on our shipwreck porter. Big alcohol, but it's aged for two years in, in a micro distiller out of just outside of Bardstown, Kentucky. Um, they don't make a huge amount of specialty high-end rye whiskeys and and uh, bourbons, but their, their name is Kentucky Distillers Limited. The barrels that we used, 22, year, 22 years they held single batch bourbons when we bought them from them. They, they uh, aged our porter for two years in the salt mines underneath the city of Grand Rapids. And we paid a handsome price every month to, 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 to rent that space. As my wife and our CFO points out to me, it's about $550 a month just to have barrels aging for beer. 
when are you going to sell them or something like that, she says to me. Um, but um, so going two years was not in the original plan, but nonetheless, what we discovered when we uh, took that beer out of the barrels is that we had something special. And, and that made it kind of cool. And again, for Joe to do something and it's sacrilegious, you won't find any pulled pork with sauce in it, on it. You, there's sauce, and there's great sauces at Feta that you can put on yourself, but you won't buy the pulled pork that way, nor you buy it from our joint either in Battle Creek that way. Um, but in this case, it gave us the reason to kind of do something that we, we don't normally do. We chose the Hot Mouth, our double IPA, to go with this, and that is the second beer. I know we're a little bit behind for you folks, but you get, a, you get a barbecue and beer enthusiast from two different perspectives up here, and we'll, we'll keep you here all night. You know, the, the other salons are going to have to rent space. We're not letting you go. But uh, seriously, this Hot Mouth is the best in British malt. Uh, how many people like scotch whiskey, by the, by the way? Raise your hand. Wow, look at that. Then this beer ought to be for you. And the reason why, in, oh, two hands up on the scotch, uh, is that most of the renowned uh, scotch distillers use what is commonly known as the, the, you know, the, the, the best malting barley for scotch and what we find making British inspired ales uh, Maris Otter malt from Scotland is what is the foundation for this particular beer and consequently uh, as my wife the CFO points out the, also the most expensive malt on the planet so cheap. so uh, it's, it has body, but in, 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 as it would match up with this uh, pulled pork with the shipwreck, again, that sweetness, that vanilla characteristic that I thought added to this sauce, to, to Joe's great barbecue, again, you want something that's got some sweetness. We're kind of moving you from dry to a little bit more of, of, a, of a mouthfeel and a sweeter body, but also a beer that was and is balanced by a very solid hop characteristic. Yeah, I think that the hops really kind of wash away the sweetness of the barbecue sauce, you know, and that's the point, is, um, is to finish the sweetness with, with that bitterness and, and, you know, get that balance in there. So anyways, it's awesome. Any questions before we move on to the next course? And, and this one's going to be, this is one that I've been, I've been waiting for because I got a little sneak peek on it Wednesday night in, uh, in New York when I got in. But any questions before we move on to the next one about the first two beers or the first two courses? Okay, there is a good. We, um, Everybody hear that, by the so way? The, the question is, uh, are we serving at, at my restaurant barbecue on bread or, or as sandwiches? Uh, and how important is the bread to the barbecue? Uh, we don't do any sandwiches whatsoever. Like I said, everything that you purchase is by weight. It's like going into a deli and saying, give me a quarter pound of Swiss cheese and so forth, right? So no sandwiches. Um, you know, traditionally, again, down south, Bread would be a good handful of, of just the cheapest white bread that Wonder you can bread. find. Wonder bread. Wonder bread might actually be too expensive. Um, uh, yeah, it was a little pricey. Right. You know, win, win Dixie, no, no frills, basically. I'm trying to think, um, what, what, are, what are Arthur Bryant's? You know, Arthur Bryant's has got some a recognizable, the cheapest yeah. bread in town. Sunbeam on it. Sun, yeah, 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 something like that, right. So normally, and it's a big stack of white bread and all. So again, keeping with a, a little bit more of a Northeast thing, and, set, and not that white bread isn't universal to the whole country, but 
Um, we decide to use, it's also one of my favorite, like, crap breads, um, potato rolls, Martin's potato rolls. And uh, so we do, we do these little Martin's potato rolls, and they're just these, like, gooey, sweet little things. And I just, you know, they're, you could tear them open and make your own sandwich out of it, and I just they get all mushy, and they, they soak up the sauce really well. And um, I think they hold up better. They got a little more chew to them than white, you know, white bread. You get, you get sauce on white bread, it just kind of falls apart. So these hold up better. Um, so there was a thought going into, you know, what bread are we going to use? Absolutely. Um, but, you, you know, I, I don't know of any barbecue places that are doing, like, you know, baguettes with their barbecue. or that. Well, It might be great. I just don't, you know, I don't know. Normally it's just white bread and, uh, and that's it. But we don't do any sandwiches in particular. It's, you, want a, you want a sandwich? Make it yourself. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and this one. The next thing we're having is, is tasso ham. And another another cured meat, and tasso is a, is a Louisiana ham. How we doing? Are we okay. And actually, the first okay. the first item, the beef tongue, we both we'll, we'll sell that at Feta Sal hot, yeah. and then we'll also sell it cold, cut on deli slicer, meat slicer at Spite and Dival, where we do charcuterie and cheeses and so forth uh, as well with the beer. Um, the tasso ham is something that is is always done by Feta for Spite and Dival, so. We do this tasso a lot, uh, not this particular way, but when we do tasso, it's always served at Spite and Dival, not at Feta Sal. This particular tasso, uh, what, what's unique about it is Tim sent us out a big bag of hops, and we use the hops in the brine cure for the, uh, for the tasso, and then also pulverize the hops into a powder and use that as part of the spice rub on the outside. And there's absolutely a distinctive bitter quality to the uh, to the tasso, you get the heat up front, finished by this this sort of bitterness, and it's a it's a really unique pairing. The the, the spice of uh, you know of the peppers, the chili, and the and the hops, and I kind of kind of like it. Oh, I kind of like it, man. Oh, I think it's, I, it's a I, really I, unique. Uh, we had this out in the garden out behind uh, 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 Joe's Spite and Dival on Wednesday night, and uh, I think we knew that one was going to be a, a, a fun one. And what, and sometimes, and this is something I want to point out to everybody. How many times, and raise your hand if something that you did relative to putting a beer or a, a beverage with a food item that didn't seem to make sense at first, all of a sudden felt that it's like, wow, that really goes better than I thought it ever would. And, and in this case, again, I, I tip my hat to Joe and his, his, his team's uh, creativity in taking our malted barley whole flower leaf hops, by the way, not right. the pelletized right. versions, but the whole flower leaf hops, and and as you as you as you saw in the first two courses, we had sweet beers or sweeter, higher ABV beers used in the processes of, of preparing both the uh, the tongue and and the pulled pork. But now we're switching to the the uh, the, the, the in this particular case. Um, the, the, the hops the bitter and, component, and the right. bitter component and we're going away from sweetness as the component in the preparation but the bitterness and we're back to the cereal killer barley wine which is, although it was used as the sweet component right. in preparation and paired with a hoppy beer is now right. com, uh, being paired with uh, a food product that gives this sweetness a counterbalance to the spiciness of that heat in the tasso, but also that bitterness 
from which is what I think is what both of us like is that you really do get hops. You do. In, yeah. in, in, in that in that. So, sir, you have a question. Yeah. Uh, you said you were brine with the hops. Yes. Right. No, the, uh, the hops went in after the boil. Yeah, we didn't want to extract too much bitterness. We didn't want to, you know, we were afraid that it could be overly bitter, unpleasantly bitter. So in that, we didn't want to boil the hops. Yeah, and you know what? And this is, I got to do this. He's been hanging out with brewers for as long as I've known him, you know, and some of it is rubbed off. Well, because... I've been a home brewer, too. I, I, I homebrewed through the 90s right. as well. So, so and, 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 and he, I mean, the, the intuition was, don't boil it. I summarize those, those oils any more than what right. you want because you'll really start to get some bitterness. All right, so we're on, we're on to the next course because we're going to stay on... On track here. Wow, I can we're doing tell. well. Yeah. We are doing well for you and I. Well, for you. For me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, any questions before we move on to the next? We got about ten minutes, so there is a question. Yes. No. All right, Joe, take us through course number three. So this is this is dessert, and um, you know, or number four, I should say. I, 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 I was in a bar in Boston about fifteen or so years ago. And I saw a tagline in, in graffiti on, on the bathroom wall that I probably should have, or maybe still should, uh, trademark. And it, it, the line was, bacon is the candy bar of meats. And <laughs> brilliant. It's the gateway meat, too. That is true. But bacon is no doubt the candy bar of meat. I mean, it's, it's it, you know, it brings out that, that same sort of, I don't know, childhood excitement that, you know, a chocolate bar would. You know, it, it, gets, it gets you in that same place. Wh- whatever, whatever that is, wherever it is, it, it's just like part of your brain, man, and just something about bacon that goes right to it. So what we did here was, was take the malt that Tim gave us, pulverize it, powdered it down, and basically created a candy crust with the malt, um, almost like a Whopper type of thing, added a little chocolate and drizzle as well, um, onto the bacon. So it's basically a, a, a malt candied bacon. Oh, man. I got to get a bite of and this before I start. Unfortunately, the crispness is not as it was yesterday, but <laughs> the flavor at least is. I'm sure it was fun cooking that bacon when you were, when it was fresh yesterday, but all right, so question. Uh, at the moment, none. But we are in D.C., so we've under wraps. <laughs> All right, one of, the, one of the things that I'll just say about the, uh, the last beer pairing, again, and I couldn't agree more with, with Joe, I mean, if you go to Feta Sal, my, my prediction is one out of every three people that, that either on, in the front of you in line or behind you in line will be getting pork belly of some capacity, uh, or various weights, that would be. We wanted to do something when Nancy from the Brewers Association so graciously asked Joe and I to, uh, to, to consider doing this salon. One of the beers that I wanted to absolutely, that both Joe and I agreed that needed to be in the mix was this last one. 
this shipwreck porter because it's one of those very limited uh, production, limited release kinds of beers that we've managed to, to save a few cases for special events like this. This is a, uh, a, uh, a really cool beer that, as I described, ages in, my, in, in, in salt mines for two years. Really great bourbon barrel. Um, but the vanilla note, the, just the, at the end, as you go through a dinner or an experience, an evening with your friends, if it includes charcuterie, barbecue, um, you know, you want to end with those high ABV beers. And, and uh, certainly you can use them in the preparation or in the process earlier, as we saw, as this was part of a sauce that was included with the, with the, with the pulled pork. But towards the end of your evening, you save those 12%, those 14%. For those people that would be looking for a taste of whiskey, this is a very nice alternative if you don't want to break out your special bottle for them, depending on how much you like them or not. But um, I'll just say this and finish it up. This has been great. Time has flown for, for both of us. Um, it's been great to, to, to enjoy this food and this beer with, with all of you. And I appreciate the fact that you're enthusiastic not only about, about great beer, and that's why you're here tonight, but also about uh, food, charcuterie, barbecue, and taking it to another level. So thanks yeah, for any, that. Any questions before we go, please? Yeah. The, the question was, uh, do we distribute our beer in Maryland and Virginia? We do not currently distribute our beer here. But D.C. and Maryland and... Uh, well, yes, that's you a were, good sign. You were here, right? You were here. I was. We were here. But we have had, uh, along with a number of our brethren in the industry, many of which you're going to enjoy tonight after this down on the floor, uh, many of us are in that position of, of having to, uh, and Tom will, will can attest to this, when you're a small brewery and you're doing it at the artisanal, authentic way, occasionally the growth that we've all been experiencing creates a need to kind of recalibrate your territories. And for us, as much as I really enjoy being on the East Coast because I'm an East Coast kind of guy, I'm from upstate New York, so Philadelphia, New York, Boston, D.C., they do matter to us. And at one point, you know, we've been in all those markets, but for right now... We're selling so much beer in Michigan and Illinois, we've got to kind of keep it focused there. So I never thought I'd say that I'd have, I'm, not, I'm enjoying that problem, but we are ex actually enjoying that problem. I'm sorry? Otherwise, we wouldn't be allowed to come back. Okay, yeah, something like that. Other questions? We've got six minutes before we stay right on schedule. I'm Way in the back. Way in the back. Raise your hand for your question, please. Where are you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't hear what he said. So the, the meat is amazing. Oh, awesome. <laughs> thank you. Right on. Yeah, man. Appreciate All that. All right. We still, uh, here we go. What were the first beers you guys uh, fell in love with and got you, like, really, like, into beers? Wow. It depends on how far, you, uh, you know, I, I go back. I remember, and this is no joke, being in, like, maybe a, maybe a freshman in high school and trying to convince my friends to get a keg of Heineken Dark for, for a keg party. This is because Jersey. I just, right. This is Jersey. You know? This is Jersey. This so, I mean, I, I've always had this thing. I always knew as a kid drinking beer, drinking like, you know, kind of crap commercial beer, 
that there had there had to be something better. My, my, I don't I don't come from a family of mu- much beer drinkers. They were wine drinkers and whiskey drinkers. My one grandfather always had peels in in his refrigerator. Peels genuine dress. God, there's got to be something better. There has to be. I don't I, I will not believe that this is as good as it gets. And uh, so that's why anything darker to me looked seemed like it had more flavor, you know. And then probably in co- in college, I really wanted to get into wine, and I I just couldn't afford it. And it also didn't economically make sense anyway because you go out and you buy a big bottle. I was by myself on a Tuesday night doing homework. I was, I'm not going to finish a bottle of wine. But I could go to the delis and it was, you know, very early 90s. And the delis, some delis in the city, some of the bodegas were, were starting to carry some, some better beer. Again, predominantly coming from Europe. I mean, domestically it was like Pete's Wicked Ale and Sierra. And that was like, yeah, maybe Anchor. And that was it. Um, so I think Sam Smith's at that point was probably the first, you know... Um, the, the Taddy Porter, the oatmeal stout, that stuff, where it was like, whoa, wait a minute, you know, all right, this this something is a good, whole other reality. And yeah. what, about, what about you? Yeah, I, I, and I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because this is somebody that I really, the, the, the Brewers Association has honored uh, th- this guy, uh, be, being from upstate New York, Glen, South Glens Falls, New York, which is real close to Vermont. Um, my first beer experience that changed. Uh, my life was Greg Noonan at the Vermont Pub and Brewery in Burlington, Vermont. Greg was uh, someone that, I, if, if I'm not mistaken, he, he wrote two, at least two books for the Brewers, uh, or the, the, the Association of, uh, of Brewers at that time, and it was uh, on brewing lager beer, and, uh, uh, and I think brewing scotch ale, if I'm not mistaken, but Greg, at his pub in Burlington, Vermont, which is a really cool college town. Um, Ber- uh, Ber- at, at the Vermont Pub and Brewery, he made a smoked porter. And I had that smoked porter. I was over there with a buddy of mine um, that we shared a, big, a, a real enthusiasm for food and better beer and wine. And, right. and we were trying to discover what was happening west of us, outside in the Colorado Mountain West California or Oregon, actually it was Oregon and, and Washington at that time, um, and we went over there and we drank that beer and that that was it. From from there on in, my wife looked at me and she said, "He's going to leave a perfectly good paying Done. job to start a brewing company and a restaurant." Done. Great, great. Yeah. Fifteen years later, here I am. Great. Yeah. So we got two minutes. Two minutes. Yes, yes. The last, the bacon, it was malt candied bacon. Malt. So we, we used Tim's malt and, uh, and ground, pulverized it, sifted it so we took the, the chaff out and everything. So it was just the powdered malt, essentially, and uh, crusted the bacon in that, cooked it down, and then drizzled a little bit of chocolate on it. We got some fans back there. Joe, I think they're going to follow you home if you get some more bacon. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, man. There's something about bacon, man. <laughs> Come on, we got, we got time for one or two more questions, and that's it. More questions? Come on, we got two minutes. Don't let, don't let us at least run two minutes over. Uh, our egos won't be able Aren't to take it. Aren't you hiring? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Who? Yeah, we, yeah, I am right now. Yeah. I'm opening a new place next week. Yeah. You live in Brooklyn? <laughs> Come on. It's not done, but... Yeah. That's all right. Yeah. We are, too, in Battle Creek. Who needs to go to Battle Creek, anybody here? 
<laughs> All right, here we go. All right. No, we're, no, we're in we're in Brooklyn. Yeah, yes, if we were in Manhattan, we're in Brooklyn. Yeah, um, just uh, just west of the river, or just east of the river. Sorry. Big distinction. The, the other side. Big distinction. Yeah. Have have you have you? We're uh, <laughs> hey, it's easy. We're we're in Williamsburg, North Brooklyn. We're literally one stop in from Manhattan. Yeah. Hey, Williamsburg. If you guys are ever coming to New York, too, there there's. Hey, hey, listen, this is important. There is a handful. Because you're going to want to know how to get to his place. Listen, there, there's a handful of really great beer establishments in Manhattan, without question. Uh, Pony Bar, Blind Tiger, there's some really great places. Williamsburg, though, and Brooklyn in general, but Williamsburg in particular, has be- become sort of the craft beer neighborhood for New York City. Uh, we have my place. There, there was a place that predated us called Mugs Ale House. Um, there's a place called Barcade, which is... Uh, 20, 25 craft beer lines and vintage arcade games. Um, about four other kind of smaller craft beer bars. But here's the interesting thing about Williamsburg in general is you'd be very hard-pressed to go into any bar in Williamsburg and find Bud or Coors or Miller or any of that stuff online. So it's uh, Williams, it, basically any bar or restaurant you walk into, you're going to get craft beer in Williamsburg. Um, and you know what else is cool? It's even starting to happen in other neighborhoods in Brooklyn. Park mm-hmm. Slope is starting to, to come that way. No question. Um, and and, and uh, it seems that, that bohemian cool... Uh, well, you know, we... So it, we moved, it's a moving target. We came it out only to, stays in one area We came so out long. to Williamsburg in, in 03, or 02 really, when we started working on the place. And $2 cans of PBR ruled the day in Williamsburg. And it was always like, you know, kind of... College kids and, and artists and musicians who were moving out of the Lower East Side and the East Village and all, because they were getting priced out, essentially, moving out to Williamsburg. And, you know, the thing that used to, I just never understood was these people are very conscious about what they're eating. A lot of them were vegetarians. They certainly weren't going to eat commercial meat and so forth. But where was the disconnect with beer? I didn't get it. They were drinking $2 P- cans PBR of PBR. in a can. Come just, on, Joe. It didn't Joe. make sense to me. Yeah, and they, they don't even have a brewery anymore. They were so bad. Uh, that's right. I'm sorry. So, so uh, it, it took it took a while, but it caught up. People people started realizing that what you drink also means something. It also has effect on you know the world around you and, and who's producing it and how it's being produced and how it's being sold and all that stuff. All right, listen, really we're almost out of time. I, he won't say it, but I've got to say it first and foremost. When you go see him, for those of you here on the on the East Coast that can make the trek. By the way, Amtrak. I don't. I, they didn't pay me to make this plug, but it's a Amtrak nice rocks, it's, dude. A ni- awesome, it's, yeah. it's a nice way to rock yeah. back and forth between New York and DC. Less than three hours. When you go, when you go to see and you find Spiten, don't look for the neon sign, okay? All right, because <laughs> All right. because there's a bunch of people that have gone at least two or three city blocks until they've been turned around when they finally said, uh, "Excuse me, do you know where Spiten Dival is?" And they always Point them back this way, and then they go back and forth three times, so, and they say, we don't have a sign. What Tim's saying is we don't have a sign. It's, we don't have a it's sign. not the easiest place to find. It's, uh... Yes, spitendivalnyc.com. So spitendival is spelt S-P-U-Y-T-E-N-D-U-Y-V-I-L. It's a weird hey, we have one more, word, right? One more quick question. Right. Have any of the, uh, since you're in New York, have any of the celebrity chefs come to you for beer pointers or anything like that? Um, 
you know, I, I've oh, gotten that's a good that's question. An question. That's a good if any question. celebrity chefs have come to me for beer pointers and stuff, um, uh, Daniel Johns, who is the beverage director for all of Daniel Balud's restaurants, uh, has called me a few times with DBGB uh, in particular. In fact, he wanted me to kind of be the beer sommelier there, but told me he couldn't afford me. So, uh, <laughs> but. Um, no, but uh, a lot have not. Um, but there has been more on the... And i got to say, really, the distributors in, in New York have... Uh, uh, the majority of them who are distributing craft beer have gotten the point that um, there's only so many beer bars. And uh, the, that the next step is really convincing fine dining um, that you have this amazing wine list, you have this incredible menu. Why are you selling Coors Light? You know, why, why is your beer list not this, of the same caliber as your wine list? You know, and again, there, there's, there, there has been historically a big disconnect there. And luckily that over the last, I'd say, five years has really started to change. Hey, Tom, um, before we wrap it up, can I just say one thing? Because Joe won't do it. He, I got to tell you this. When you go to New York, you need to go knowing full well that in a city... Some people, some of us, I, I, with no disrespect to anybody, believe it's the capital of the world. Well, there's some great barbecue in New York City. But Zagat rating, four years in a row, his joint in Williamsburg, uh, uh, Brooklyn. Uh, he won't tell anybody, but I, I'm going to. And I want to say, uh, on behalf of both Joe and I, this has been fun. And, and I hope you guys got what you were hoping to get out of it uh, tonight. Thank you for being here. You guys rock. This has been a all great, right. great Come night. Come my hand, everyone. Nice, guys. Thank you all for coming. Have a great night. Enjoy. This podcast was produced by the Brewers Association and presented by Craft Beer Radio. To find more information on Saver or further podcasts, visit craftbeerradio.com slash saver or craftbeer.com. This content is released under the Creative Commons license. Visit craftbeerradio.com for more information.